Good evening and a very warm welcome to our evening service. Uh, the Apostle Peter in his first letter reminds us tonight that we are coming to Jesus Christ as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And so let us sing the praises of our glorious God, of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, in the words of our opening hymn, which is number four, if you're using the books, hymn number four. Christ is our cornerstone, on him alone we build, with his true saints alone, the courts of heaven are filled. Our opening hymn, number four in the books. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder of what you have done for your people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that we can come and worship you and, and give you thanks for all your work for us, to give you praise and glory for all that you are in yourself. We thank you that you are the great and awesome God, that you created all things. You made this world and you made us to live in it. You've given us all that we have, all the good gifts that we enjoy. 
You are the God who uh, guides us and strengthens us in trials. You are the God who has given us very great and very precious promises to encourage us that we might call upon you and uh, know that you will um, answer us just exactly as you've promised to do so. That you will save those who call on you. That you will forgive the sins of uh, any who confess them. That your grace will be sufficient. uh, That you will strengthen and keep each one of your people. And we've been reminded uh, just in this scripture reading that we were once uh, nobodies. We were those who were without God and we were without hope. We were walking uh, once in darkness. Uh, We did not know you. We were far from you. But now, uh, those of us who who are Christians and true believers, we have uh, been brought out of that darkness. And you have put us in your marvellous light. Uh, You have uh, taken us from being nobodies and you've adopted us into your own family so that now we can say that we are your people, that you are our God. And Lord, you have this great and glorious uh, task and and purpose for you. You are building us together upon the foundation which is our Lord Jesus Christ. And you are making us to be a temple, a a dwelling place. A place where you, the eternal God, will come and uh, live amongst us. And that we should be those who uh, praise you and give you glory forever and ever. Oh Lord, we ask that you will help us to understand uh, more and more of the, the blessings and the privileges and the duties uh, which are ours. We do confess our sins, Lord. We confess that we are, are not worthy of any of these things. And we confess that we uh, often fall short uh, of your glory. That we don't live up to our privileges. We don't live up to uh, the family name. But Lord, we do pray for the help of your Holy Spirit. Uh, We pray, Lord, that uh, as you have called us to use our tongues for uh, praising you and for encouraging one another, we ask, Lord, that you will purify us, that you will help us to lay aside all uh, malice, uh, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking, and that rather... Our hunger, our thirst, our great desire might be to know more of you and to learn more of you through your word. We pray, Lord, that you will do these things for us. We pray for ourselves as a church and we thank you for many encouragements, for seeing several coming along this morning with a great eagerness and desire to meet here. For those who are wanting to uh, explore more of, uh, of what your word says and uh, for those taking part of the, in the Hope Explored course. We do pray that you'll bless everyone who is seeking you. We thank you Lord for each one here tonight and we pray that you will help us to uh, understand what is being taught. Help us to understand the things that we're uh, singing and we ask that you yourself uh, might be here with us, you might uh, meet with us, uh, that you will Grant salvation and the gift of your Holy Spirit to each one here tonight. We pray again for our country, Lord. Uh, We pray for our Prime Minister, for our government, uh, for the royal family. And we ask that you will uh, give a peace and a stability in our land, that you will preserve uh, law and order. We thank you, Lord, for the evidence that we can see that 
that your hand is still on the brakes, as it were, restraining uh, wickedness and evil. There is much that causes us distress. But we see, Lord, that uh, decisions in the courts, for example, are, uh, are still in your mercy going in favour of your people who would uh, preach the gospel and teach the, the truth, uh, even on the streets. And we thank you for this. And we ask that you might preserve this and that you might keep our our nation from a, a, a total descent uh, into evil and wickedness. Uh, we ask, Lord, that your people might still be able to be a salt and light in this country. And we pray, Lord, for your people around the world. Uh, we, we pray for those who are, are persecuted, for those who don't have the freedoms that we have. And yet, Lord, we give you thanks that in so many cases they are remaining faithful to you. They are bearing a testimony to your goodness, even during these times of trials. And Lord, may these things encourage each one of us. Uh, we confess that though you have given us faith, yet ours, as we were reminded this morning, is often a forgetful faith. That when the storms of life come, we can quickly uh, turn to thinking that you have forgotten us and that w you don't care about us. Oh, Lord, how far this is from the truth. Please forgive us and please strengthen and increase our faith. Lord, for any going through particular trials at this time, we ask that you will draw near to them, uh, that you will uh, inspire their prayers, that you will hear their prayers, that they might see great answers to their prayers. Lord, remember those who have uh, loved ones who are unsaved, perhaps who've been praying for them for many years. Uh, be with them and help them. Uh, Lord, remember those who have uh, perhaps prof made professions of faith and, and turned away from you. Lord, bring them back in your mercy. Oh, we pray that you will hear and that you will answer and meet every need. And we pray especially that you'll be with us as we gather together now. Uh, we ask that you'll be with Jeremy as he opens your word to us. Help us to understand it. Be with him and strengthen him, we pray, as we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Once again, a, a very warm welcome to uh, everyone who's here this evening and also to all those who are, are watching on the live stream. Some notices. Um, this week we have the coffee morning uh, on Tuesday at uh, 10.30 in the morning and all are very welcome to that. Uh, in the evening, uh, we're meeting in our small groups at 7.45, various homes, and we'll be continuing uh, in the, the third study uh, in our study guide uh, this week. Uh, litter pick uh, around the village this Wednesday. Uh, slight change of time this week. So it's not 10.30 as usual, but it's 10 o'clock this week. Wednesday at 10 o'clock for the litter pick. Do speak to Gordon if you want any uh, more detail on that. Uh, the Hope Explored uh, course um, the group is meeting uh, again on Wednesday before the babies and toddlers at 12 noon. Uh, they're in the second week out of three, so uh, do pray for that. It's been a very encouraging start. And then uh, the babies and toddlers uh, at 1.30 on Wednesday. In the evening, uh, on Wednesday, Kids Connect at 7pm. And then on Friday at 7.15, the Rooted Group are meeting. Uh, this Saturday... At 11 a.m., we hope to have uh, another open-air uh, witness down in Bromsgrove Town Centre. And then next Sunday morning, um, our services, as usual, in the will of God. Uh, morning service at 10.30, evening service at 6 p.m., which will include communion. 
And just a reminder that uh, today um, is the last uh, call for signing up for church holiday if you want to influence the decision as to whether that goes ahead, whether we have sufficient numbers. So if you uh, would like to come, uh, are hoping to come, please make sure you sign up uh, this evening. And then also an advance notice that our church annual general meeting will be on Monday the 27th, a meeting at 7.30 for a, a 7.45 start. So that's Monday the 27th of March. All these things in the will of the Lord. It's now time to uh, come to the Lord's table. And so our communion hymn for this evening is 849, if you're using the books, 849. Rejoice, believer, in the Lord who makes your cause his own. The hope that's built upon his word shall ne'er be overthrown. 849. <laughs> As we come to the Lord's table, I remind you that eating from the, uh, the bread and drinking from the cup are privileges for uh, God's people, for God's children, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, who have been baptized and are walking with fellowship with the gospel church. 
And if that's you, we warmly invite you to uh, take part tonight. Uh, but if that's the, your, not your situation, um, please don't be at all embarrassed just to let the bread and the cup pass along the line. We're very glad to have everyone uh, here with us this evening. In Isaiah chapter 49, Isaiah records some words that God the Father spoke to a God the Son. Uh, the, God the Son reporting these words. And he, the Father, said to me, the Son, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord, and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them. For he who has mercy on them will lead them, even by the springs of water. He will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highways shall be elevated. Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Sing, O heavens! Be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. I'm going to invite our brother Alan Wells to come and to give thanks for the bread and later on Gordon Robbins to give thanks for the cup. Lord God, we thank you we can come again to remember the great work that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished when he died on Calvary. We thank you that all these centuries later, we still know the benefit and the blessing of what he did. We thank you that in that time of seeming weakness, when he died in agony upon the cross, 
Yet, in fact, he was triumphing and conquering sin and death and hell and bringing salvation, uh, not just to the people of Israel, uh, but to those from all over the world, reaching as far as us here today. We thank you that through the giving of his life, the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased our salvation, that our sins have been forgiven because of the price that he paid. We thank you that he laid down his life. No man took it from him, but he laid it down and so willingly giving himself to the suffering and death of the cross, bearing your wrath against our sin. And Lord, we thank you. We can Have a part in this tonight as we come and remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. To remember that because of him we are accepted. Our sins are forgiven. We can be comforted and blessed by you as our Father. We pray that you would help us as we take this bread to think upon what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Fill our hearts, Lord, with gladness and thanksgiving. Help us to repent afresh of any uh, sin of this last week. Help us to come before you humbly, uh, but with assurance that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. We thank you for our Saviour and for his work. And we pray you would do good to each one of us now. In his name. Amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, as we think of our world, as we look at the news, as we read the papers, 
uh, we're struck by how much blood is shed unnecessarily in our world. Father, it never seems to end. Tragedy after tragedy, war after war, pour forth with the needless shedding of human blood. But as we come here this evening, as we gather around your table, we remember that there was a shedding of blood that was absolutely necessary. As your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, shed his blood on the cross, that we might be forgiven. Father, we thank you for his willingness to do that. Lord, we know that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And if he had been unwilling to do that for us, if he had turned away from drinking that cup you had laid before him, we would still be in our sin. We would be in a hopeless state. But we praise you this evening that he was willing. Lord, we give you our grateful, heartfelt thanks for his willingness to go all the way to the cross, to suffer the agonizing death that that entailed in shedding his blood. Father, we are so grateful that his blood has paid the price, has bought us redemption. And we praise you this evening in his wonderful name. Amen. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.
going to have our scripture reading now. And this evening we're turning to Nehemiah and chapter 8. That's Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to read the whole chapter. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood which they had made for the purpose. And beside him, at his right hand, stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Meaziah. And at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malchijah, Hashem, Hashpadana, Zechariah, and Mishulam. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Jeshua, Barney, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Meaziah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped all the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and all the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep. But all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and to rejoice greatly, because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and Levites, were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them, and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or in the court of the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. 
So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so. And there was very great gladness. Also, day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. I pray that the Lord will bless his word and give Jeremy all necessary help and strength as he opens it to us in a moment. Before that, we'll sing together our third hymn, which uh, if you're uh, using the sheets, you'll find on that. By faith, we see the hand of God in the light of creation's grand design, in the lives of those who prove his faithfulness, who walk by faith and not by sight. Our third hymn.
on Sunday evenings, we're working our way through the book of Nehemiah, doing a series of sermons we've called a Project Build, uh, learning about what was going on in 5th century uh, with the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem and uh, uh, applying uh, the lessons uh, to ourselves in the 21st century as we are involved in the building of the Church of Jesus Christ. And this evening we come to the chapter that Sam's just read in our hearing, uh, Nehemiah chapter 8. The most famous words in this chapter are probably those found at the end of the 10th verse. In the middle of the chapter, end of verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or to quote the statement in full, do not sorrow for the joy of the Lord is is your strength. Now, on the one hand, there may seem to be many reasons for Christians to sorrow and for churches to be sad. But we're reminded in this chapter tonight that for the Christian, for the church, the joy of the Lord is our strength. As Christians and as churches... Our strength, spiritual strength, is linked to our joy. And uh, our joy is linked uh, to uh, the Lord. And so, uh, joy in the Lord is indispensable uh, for the Christian and uh, for the church. But these famous words have... A context. They're not found here in splendid isolation in the middle of a blank page, but rather they're found here in the middle of the chapter taking our attention tonight, Nehemiah and uh, chapter 8. And the theme I want to develop with the Lord's help from this chapter this evening is taking Scripture seriously. Taking Scripture seriously. That's something we need to do individually as Christians. Every Christian should be someone who takes Scripture seriously. And that's something that we should do together as a church. Every church should take Scripture seriously. And this chapter is really a chapter of two halves. The first half is headed in the Bible I have in front of me, Ezra Reads of the Law. And we just read the opening two verses of the chapter to get the flavor of what's going on here. Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the Lord of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. So God's people gather and his law is read, reminding us that God teaches his people through his word. That's how he taught his people all those years ago and it's how he still teaches us today. And then, in due course, the first half of the chapter gives way uh, to the second half of the chapter, which is headed in my Bible, the Feast of 
uh, tabernacles. Again, uh, let's just break in uh, to the chapter and read uh, at verse 13. Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So not only do we find God teaching his people through his word in the first half of the chapter, but also we find God's people responding in obedience in the second half of the chapter. Having uh, been reminded of what God had said through uh, his ancient service servant Moses about the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, God's people here in Nehemiah 8, they immediately put legs on that teaching and they go about uh, celebrating uh, that ancient feast. So God teaches his people through his word and God's people are to respond in obedience. That's how it was back in 5th century BC and that's still how it's to be in the 21st century AD. God teaches his people through his word and God's people respond in obedience. But looking at the big picture of our chapter, Nehemiah 8, this evening, three points. Number one, through scripture, God speaks. Remember, we're thinking about taking scripture seriously. And this is our first point tonight. Through scripture, God speaks. Scripture, of course, for those in Nehemiah's day, was really the law, uh, the, the five books of Moses, what we sometimes refer to as uh, the Pentateuch. Uh, for us, it's the Bible, uh, the 66 books of the Old and uh, New uh, Testaments. And it is through his word, the Bible, uh, that God speaks. But let's break this down a little. First of all, notice God speaks as his word is read. We have a privilege in our generation that perhaps many in Nehemiah's generation did not have, namely to be able to, to read the word uh, alone, individually. We have a copy of God's word ourselves. Perhaps we have many uh, such copies on our shelves or around our homes and we can read God's word alone and that's a good thing to do. But it's clear from the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New, that reading God's word together as the gathered assembly of his people has an especial significance. And we have an example of that in the first half of our chapter tonight. Just notice uh, some of the details. Verse uh, 3, the beginning of verse 3, Ezra read from the law in the open square where the people could gather to hear it. Uh, second half of verse 3, we read that the men were there, they were to hear God's word, uh, and the women were there too, they were to hear God's word, uh, and the children were there as well. All those who could understand were gathered to hear God's word read. 
We're told, verse 4, that Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, a kind of pulpit. And he did so in the sight of all, beginning of verse 5, uh, so that everyone could see the one who was reading and could hear what he was uh, saying. And uh, they did so, he did so in order to, end of verse 5, uh, stand above all the people. That's symbolic. I wonder if you ever wondered why it is that it's common in churches and chapels uh, in, in such buildings to find uh, pulpits or, or platforms that are raised. Now you find a whole variety. Ours is comparatively low by many standards. Uh, some are halfway up the wall or higher still. But why, why is it common? Of course, the old joke is that the, the preacher is six foot above contradiction. And that's not true. Uh, any preacher only has uh, the authority of God's word insofar as they teach God's word. Then what they say is God's word. But insofar as they teach anything that is not in line with scripture, it has no authority or whatsoever, however learned or revered any preacher might be. But no, the reason that typically pulpits are raised is, one, practically, as we've seen, so that uh, the person reading the scriptures or preaching the word can be seen and can be heard, but it's also always been understood to be symbolic of the fact that when we gather, we gather under the word of God. We gather under its authority. We do not simply gather around God's word. We certainly don't gather over God's word as if to cast our judgment upon it, but rather we gather under God's word, recognizing that God is in authority over us and we need to hear his word. We're told, end of verse 5, that all the people stood up, that they lifted their hands, verse 6, and that they bowed their heads. We're not necessarily to uh, develop legalistic rules from this. Sometimes people read in the scripture about posture and they say, well, here, the word was being read and the people stood up. So does that mean we need to stand up when the scriptures are read? There are many churches that do that, particularly in America, for example. And I'm not saying for a moment that that is wrong. But often we read various different postures at different times in the scriptures uh, for the same thing. One good example is prayer. Sometimes you find people standing to pray and sometimes you find them sitting to pray and sometimes you find them on their knees to pray and sometimes you find them on their faces to pray and sometimes you find them with their hands in the air. Well, you can't do all those things at the same time. Each posture has something to uh, teach us. The people standing here, it was teaching uh, it, it was because it teaches us that they understood that something significant was going on. It's as if they were standing to attention and giving their full attention uh, to God's word. We don't believe that there's uh, any one right or posture for hearing God's word or praying or whatever. There are various postures available to us. But each one has its instruction and each one has its meaning. But you see the significance of what was going on here. God was speaking as his word was being read. And it's important that we have a high view of the public reading of scripture. 
Sometimes in our evangelical churches, the impression can be given that the the, the reading is almost just some kind of necessary thing we've got to get to in order that we can get to the preaching. Now, we believe in preaching, and we'll say more about that in a moment, but the reading of Scripture in the gathered assembly of God's people is a significant thing in its own right. And so that's why it needs to be read well, and uh, that's why we need to give it our very best attention. So God speaks as his word is read. But a second aspect of this is that God speaks as his word is expounded. We see that in this chapter as well. It's good to hear God's word read, but more is necessary. We need not only to hear God's word read, but also to hear it expounded. We read here in verse 8 that they read distinctly from the book in the Lord of God, but more than that, that they, Ezra and these others, they gave the sense and they helped the gathered congregation to understand the word. This is part of the preacher's task. The preacher is not to preach his own message, some message Uh, that is the product of his own imagination that he himself has uh, dreamt up. But rather he is to deliver God's message. He is to expound what is in the text and to bring it to bear upon God's people, to give the sense and to help uh, the understanding. So God speaks as his word is read and God speaks as his word is expounded. But there's a further aspect of this in our chapter, and that is that God speaks as his word is applied. God speaks as his word is applied. Because it's good to hear passages of Scripture expounded, to understand what they mean. But again, more is necessary. It's necessary for God's word to be applied, to be brought home to our hearts and to our lives. And we find that happening in the middle of our chapter. The scriptures having been read. Uh, We read verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy uh, to the Lord your God. Verse 10, essentially, they say, go and do, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and so on. And verse 12, we read that they went and did, and all the people went their way to eat and drink. They'd read the law, they'd seen they should be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. And so uh, those who were reading and those who were preaching, they applied this to the people and said, this is what you should do, and the people went and did it. And again, this is part of the preacher's task. If the preacher simply stops with exposition, expounding the text, saying this is what the text means, then he has fundamentally failed in his task. Exposition is essential to preaching, but so is application. That which is expounded, that which is taught, must be applied to the gathered congregation. It's sometimes what's referred to as the so what of preaching. In other words, a passage is read, a passage is expounded, this is what the text 
means, but so what? So what? What difference should that make to us as individuals? What difference should that make to us as a fellowship of God's people? So what? How should we change as a result of the message that we have heard from God's word? What difference should this passage make? So that's a good question to think about. Whenever, whenever you're, you're hearing God's word read, whenever you're hearing God's word preached, don't just come thinking, well, I, I want to understand what this passage means. But come asking the question, what difference should this passage make to me today, tonight, tomorrow, in the week ahead? Through scripture, God speaks. And that's why we should have a very high view of the reading and the preaching of God's word. But there's a second thing from our chapter tonight. Through scripture, God shapes. Through scripture, God shapes. The fruit of hearing God's word in the first half of Nehemiah 8 is seen in the people's obedience to God's word in the second half of our chapter. We see God's word shaping God's people in the Old Testament. The example we have in our chapter is the teaching about the Feast of Tabernacles, which God's people seemingly had uh, neglected or forgotten, and uh, which is revived here in uh, our chapter. God told them what to do, and they did what he told them. And it's clear from the second half of our chapter that they took care to obey in detail. The first day, still on the first day, uh, Nehemiah, uh, in verse 9, Nehemiah, as we've said, um, and these others, they uh, tell the people what to do. Uh, with the result that then on the second day, verses 13 and following, they're in earnest and they keep this seven-day feast of the Feast of the Tabernacles so that we're told in the last verse, verse 18, uh, also day by day from the first day until the last day, all these seven days, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. But this is just one example. We see throughout the Old Testament scriptures, uh, God, he shapes his people by his word, telling them what to do and uh, giving them the grace to obey. But as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we find the same thing. We find uh, God's word shaping God's people in uh, the New Testament scriptures. You remember the New Testament begins with the four Gospels, the four biographies of Jesus' earthly life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, narrating his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and uh, all many of the things that he said and, uh, and did. But then the majority of the rest of the New Testament books are what we call the epistles or the letters written by apostles to uh, churches and to individuals. And those epistles, those letters, 
are a mixture of doctrine and practice. A mixture of doctrine, in other words, what we're to believe, and practice, how we're to behave in the light of what we believe. In some of the letters, there's a sharper contrast. There's an emphasis perhaps on doctrine in the earlier chapters and then moves to practice in the later chapters. In some of the epistles and the letters, the the, the doctrine and the, the practice is more intertwined. I was... Uh, came into my mind when I was preparing this message um, the last couple of days that uh, Jonathan Edwards, famous American preacher from uh, a former generation, it was once uh, said, I think, of Jonathan Edwards that his doctrine was all practice and his practice was all doctrine. Uh, And there's a sense in which that should be true of us. We don't want an artificial distinction between our doctrine and our practice. But there are those things that we are to believe, doctrine, And then there is that behavior, practice, which flows out of our doctrine. And both are important. So the New Testament won't allow us simply to say that we believe, but says, well, if this is what we believe, then this is how we should behave. We should live in the light of what we believe. Doctrine and practice are a bit like a tree and fruit. We could liken doctrine to the tree and practice to the fruit. And we're not to be all tree and no fruit, uh, but neither uh, can we be all fruit and no tree. The tree is necessary. Doctrine, what we're to believe. But a healthy tree will bring forth fruit, right, godly behavior. So not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament too, God's word shapes his people in uh, obedience. But even the days when the New Testament were written may seem long ago and far away from us in the 21st century, these 20 centuries later. But it is still God's will that his word should shape his people in the 21st century. Similarly, but at the same time differently to how it did in Nehemiah chapter 8. It's important that we emphasize both the similarity and the difference. Because in the Old Testament... God tended to teach his people by way of detailed prescription. In other words, he taught them in great detail how they were to live as individuals and how they were to function as a gathered community. So we have a book like Leviticus, which may at first reading seem quite alien to us in our day. There's so much detail. You almost think it would be a full-time job to, to know what you were supposed to be doing, never mind just to, be, just to be doing it. So for personal life and for corporate life, in the Old Testament there is a detailed prescription. Whereas in the New Testament, we do not find the same detailed prescription as has sometimes been said, perhaps somewhat humorously, but making a a serious point, we find no book of Leviticus 
in the New Testament. That's not to say that we can't learn from the Old Testament book of Leviticus as New Testament believers. But in the New Testament, there's no, there's no similar book uh, to Leviticus. Because believers in the New Testament are called to live not so much by detailed prescription, but rather the Lord gives to us his Ten Commandments, which are for all people in all places and at all times. And he gives to us principles to be applied. But time and again, instead of the detailed prescription, you must do this, you mustn't do that, down to every fine detail, such as we often find in the Old Testament, rather he gives to us principles, which individually and together, with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are to seek to work out in practice. And uh, so applying this, we need to understand that it's not sufficient for us to have a kind of legalistic hearing of God's word, as if to say, well, we must listen to God's word, but we we read it ourselves or we hear it read and then we just close it and we go on, as if we'd never read it. But God desires not just to speak to us through the scriptures, but to shape us by the scriptures. And so we are called to a wholehearted desire, not only to hear God's word, but to live by it. As Christians, individually, to be shaped by God's word. As a church, to be shaped by the word of God. So we're thinking tonight about taking scripture seriously. We've said, number one, through scripture God speaks. Number two, through scripture God shapes And uh, thirdly, in the remaining minutes, through Scripture, God strengthens. And for our third point, we're really coming back to where we started. We're returning to uh, the most famous words of this chapter. There in the middle of the chapter, end of verse 10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're told in the Scripture that the devil is the father of lies. And uh, one of the many lies in his wretched armory is this. The Lord wants to rob you of any joy. Devil ever come at you with that one? The Lord wants to rob you of any joy. That's true before we become Christians. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're interested in becoming a Christian. Maybe you've no interest whatsoever in becoming a Christian. But one of the tricks the devil tries when somebody becomes interested in exploring Christianity and thinking about what it would mean to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow him is to say, you don't want to become a Christian because the only thing the Lord wants you to do is rob you of any joy. He doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be miserable. Don't go anywhere near God. Don't go anywhere near Jesus. Don't go anywhere near the church because it will rob you of any joy. It's the devil's lie, but he tries it time and time again. And he doesn't just stop before we're Christians, but after we're Christians. He comes with the same lie, perhaps more subtly. But he tries to make us think that that really the Lord is... He's trying to rob us of joy. He's trying to impinge our, our happiness. You know, just, just be enough of a Christian to kind of 
pass muster with everybody. But don't take things too seriously. Because the more seriously you take your Christianity, well, the less joy you will have. But that we're saying is the devil's lie. Because in contrast to the devil's lie, we have in the scriptures time and time again the Lord's truth. And the Lord's truth is that he wants to give you a joy you can find nowhere else. That's true tonight. The Lord would give you a joy that you can find nowhere else. That's true if you're not yet a Christian. You want to be happy. We all want to be happy. Who would be a strange person that would want to be miserable? We all want to be happy. The greatest joy ever known to humanity is the joy that is found in knowing God as your Father, Jesus Christ as your Savior, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, knowing that your sins are forgiven because Jesus, as we saw by signs earlier, was allowed his body to be broken and his, his blood to be shed in order that your sins might be forgiven and your soul might be saved. To be reconciled to God, to be on your way to heaven, to have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's no joy like that. And that joy is here for the taking from the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. And again as Christians. The Christian life isn't always easy. You don't need me to tell you that. But don't believe the devil's lie. That the Lord would have you a miserable Christian. Or the Lord would give you a joy you can find nowhere else. Even sometimes in the darkest of experiences. Even sometimes through great heartache and through many tears. Yet he would give you a joy in himself. And in his so great salvation. No joy like knowing God. No joy like loving him. No joy like trusting him. No joy like obeying him. No joy like serving him. No joy like putting him first. We must take scripture seriously because in the Bible God reveals himself to us. In the scriptures he shows us ourselves in all our sinfulness. But he shows us our saviour in all his saving power and glory. And he shows us how to live to his glory in the ordinary, in the everyday. Not just in church on a Sunday evening, but in the big wide world on a, on a Monday morning. So the devil's lie, the Lord wants to rob you of any joy. But the Lord's truth, he wants to give you a joy you can find nowhere else. And that's why we need the scriptures, because it's through the scriptures that we come to know God better. And it's through the scriptures that our joy in God is strengthened. So if we've touched on the devil's lie and the Lord's truth, what should, what should our response be? If it's through scripture that God speaks, if it's through scripture that God shapes... And if it's through scripture that God strengthens, what should our response be? Surely it should be to take scripture seriously. 
to cherish God's word, to read it avidly, to study it seriously, to prioritize hearing God's word preached. We can't get enough of it. We remember what the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 4.12 when he described God's word as living and powerful. This book, as it is read, as it is preached, it is not dead, it is not impotent, but it is living and it is powerful as God speaks, as God shapes and as God strengthens. So we take God's word seriously. Wanting to know day by day, week by week, what is God saying to me? What is he saying to us? More than that, what does God require of me? What does he require of us? And it's as we take God's word seriously. As we ask those questions, what is God saying? What does he require? That we find our joy in the Lord strengthened and we are helped to go on and to persevere and to bear fruit as his people. Amen. We'll close this evening by singing the hymn, O Word of God, Incarnate. It's 357 in, if you're using a book, O Word of God Incarnate, O Wisdom from on high, O Truth unchanged, unchanging, O Light of our dark sky. The closing hymn.
Now may the God who never abandons you and never lets go of you go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, make you faithful in your temptations until Jesus comes. Amen.